0: The Lord be with you, everyone. And as we begin this session together, I want to make sure that both of us are on the same page as to what the Holy Spirit is doing. Um, I I come to this time together with a certain realization, certain expectation, and I realize I never really shared that with you. And so I I want you, wherever you're watching this or listening on the podcast, I want you to be still and just for a moment recognize, realize, rest into the reality that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit who is the love of God at work in us, That Holy Spirit is right now in you. And that Holy Spirit in you is in the process of opening the eyes of your understanding. He is the one that Jesus said was our guide into truth that we had not yet before seen. And he is the greatest friend, the greatest counselor, the greatest teacher that you will ever know. He loves you, and He is now at this very moment in you to be all of that to you. And the result of that, He is the healer of our total person. And so I come to you with the expectancy, and I say it to you now that the Holy Spirit brings healing to your mind. He gives clarity, light, joy in the thoughts of your mind. He brings your emotions to be one with His of love and joy. And He brings His physical healing into every cell of your body. Now, amen, I say that. Because that's what I see happening every time I sit here. And I thought it would be just marvelous if you joined me in seeing the same thing. Okay, I want to share with you now um, from a letter that we don't often go to, at least looking at it as a real letter. It is in the book of Revelation and in chapter two. And it is the first of those letters that John wrote at the dictation of Jesus to the seven churches of asia and, and what usually happens with these is the people just cannot accept that there were real churches there and they needed to hear this and this was the letter of jesus to them they go off and say well this this is all prophetic you say this is showing us the ages of the church or something i don't know look this is a real letter there's the letter that was written to Ephesians, Ephesus, by Paul. Now this one in Revelation 2 is the letter to Ephesus that was written, and I say again, by Jesus through John to the same church in Ephesus. And so with that in mind, as a real letter, nothing prophetic, just because it's in the book of Revelation, nothing. This is a letter and it comes to us even as the rest of the New Testament does. It begins with what um, is a little strange. In most of your Bibles, it will say to the angel of the church in Ephesus. I- I've told you many times that the word angel is an untranslated Greek word. And it simply means messenger. Um, I'm a messenger of Jesus, and so are you come to that. And so, to the angel, the pastor of the church of Ephesus write. These things, says he, who holds the seven stars in his right hand. And again, it is speaking of the pastors of these various churches. And then he goes on and says, the one who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, that's the churches themselves, these entities inside the various cities up and down the coast they're in Asia, and they are described as golden lampstands, light bearers in the midst of the darkness. And now this is what Jesus said, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience, and have labored for my namesake, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent, do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent." And when it says that, it doesn't mean he's going to suddenly unsave the people. It's speaking of the lampstand. That is the entity as a church. He is saying that you will have lost your authority to be my light in the city. And so the church itself as an entity will just go away. Okay. That, that's, that's the thing. It's a pretty solemn letter. Um, that he writes. This one who he says he walks in the midst of the lampstands. And that's very comforting actually because he's not exterior. He's not over there somewhere shouting his condemnation and judgment at them. He's walking inside of them, in the midst of them. And so he is urgently speaking to those he loves so dearly the ones he chooses to make his home inside of them, in the midst of them. But there's trouble, big trouble. And he ends by saying, He that has ears to hear, let him hear. That is, the ears of your heart. Of course, we've all got these ears, but he he says, the ears of your heart, which are, in fact, the ears of Jesus. He lives within you and through jesus we see the truth and we hear what he hears from the father and our heart resonates to his now in this moment voice and i think you know what i mean even if what i just said might not be new uh, for, uh, old to you um when when i'm speaking when other person speak who are speaking to you the very voice of the holy spirit you you know something rises within you as if it's and yes 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 uh, uh resonating in your heart in fact i i've heard people say it, it seemed as if i i'd always known that and yet i'd never put it into words and now my whole being says yes well that's it you've got ears you say and your ears have heard the voice of Jesus. And so he's now saying, listen to what I'm saying. Listen, which of course is the central word to obedience. You could also say it means, wake up, start listening. You see, when you're asleep, you may not, in fact, you don't know who you are. If you notice that, You—you you, when you're asleep, you have no idea who you are. You, you don't know your status, you're asleep. In fact, a person may be very wealthy, but when they're asleep, they may be dreaming of poverty. Well, it doesn't matter what the fantasy dreams are. You are who you are who you are. And he is saying to these people, Wake up! Remember who you are! Okay. What, what is this Ephesus? I mean, as I say, we've met Ephesus already uh, back in uh, Paul's letters but this is much later let me give you a quick overview of these people because it's important it was in approximately eighty fifty two that there was a visit to Ephesus by Paul and the the church began it would have been nothing more than what we today would call a home bible study but it began and that was approximately 20 years after Jesus rose from the dead. as pretty early on. And then two years later, Paul visits again, and um, that was when the church was established. He stayed there for two, three years, and, and there was massive riots, and, and you might remember reading it in, in the Acts of the Apostles. But then in... A.D. 60, which was approximately six years later, then Paul, who was by this time in jail for being who he was, a Christian, um, he writes what we call the letter of Paul to the Ephesians. And so that was, I say, in 60 or 62. And it's very interesting, this is just an aside, but to put the whole picture together, Many people believe that the letter that Paul wrote to Ephesus was a circular letter, that is, one that was sent to Ephesus to be circled around all the churches in that neighborhood. Now that's interesting, if that be the case, and I think there's a jolly good possibility. Then the churches that are mentioned here in chapter 2 and 3 of Revelation, the seven churches of Revelation, well, you know, they, they were all around Ephesus and they went up the coast, which means that these letters of Jesus were sent to all those that heard that letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians. Just interesting. But then, um, in around uh, late 70s or into 80s, the Apostle John became the pastor of the church in Ephesus did you know that John now come on John was the apostle of love and by this time he's an old man and legend has it they carried him into the church and he would just say little children love one another well by 90 AD 90 is when this letter in Revelation was written Now that's interesting because it means that the people listening to this letter in Revelation 2 were second generation to the founders of the church. Second generation. That is, they hadn't been there, or if they were, they were babes. Um, And to this church, this second generation church that has had that history that I've quickly outlined, Jesus writes, and he says, this I have against you. This is your problem, that you have left your first love. Hmm. So by this time, by AD 90, what was a flaming love that was the characteristic of that church in back in the eighty fifties has now, he says, you have lost... Your first love. Well, what's this all about? Well, the word there, love, you've lost your first love. That word in the language that John wrote in Greek is agape. And that's a very important word in the New Testament because it is God's unique love. When we say God is love, we are using that word. It means the love that God the Father has for God the Son, God the Son for the Father. That, that love which is beyond our comprehension, actually. It's, it's too big for us to even understand the energy of that love. And the Holy Spirit in the midst of that love, the celebration of that love, that spirit in which this love in the Trinity takes place. Um that's this word, and when Jesus joined us, when God the Son became flesh, he is agape in flesh, He is God's love come into our human race. And this I, I, I say that because what it, th- this word is not me loving Jesus. Do do you get that? This is God's love, and God owns that love. He is that love, and he pours that love inside of us through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit. And so it isn't anything that I have done to sort of stir up my emotions to try and love Jesus. This is, in fact... Uh, Jesus pouring into us through the Holy Spirit the love of God that we might actually participate in the love that God is that we might actually enter into by the grace by the gift of God into the the very love of the Holy Trinity that this is this is the love it's talking about our love then is a response. It says, um, we love, yes, we do love, but we didn't start it. It says, we love because he first loved us. That's the the wonder uh, of this new covenant. This is the wonder of what we have in Jesus that God puts into us, opens our eyes to see it, that he loves us, us in the same way that the father loves the son and the son loves the father do you realize that that this is not just sort of a nice feeling this is the love upon which the entire universe hangs god love now poured into us by the holy spirit which excites us to realize the wonder of god and we love but we're responding to it's because he first loved us and so first love is really seeing that jesus is the first love incarnate he's the first love he's where the love originates and he became one of us and he brought that love into us this is the new covenant you see he is god giving god we are united into him. We're united into agape. As we simply say, yes, I mean, the gift has been given. You realize that? The gift, this is the gospel, which is that old ancient English word, which means the good, glad, merry news that makes a man leap for joy. What is the news? That God has given himself, and himself is love, and he's given himself into us. That's the news. And so first love, you might say, is that awakening to this union that I've just spoken about, that, that we are one with it. So think about it. You and I, creatures, actually participate in the love that is the Holy Trinity. The Holy Trinity by unbegun nature is love. We, by gift, by grace, God gave us to participate in that, it's a union. It, it is what elsewhere would be saying knowing. Remember, Jesus said, "No one knows the Father except the Son," which is saying that no human being can can ever reach this. No religion has ever found it. No one knows the Father, and then he goes on. But I know the Father. Jesus, of course, he knows the Father because he is God in our flesh. But then he says, and also all those that I will share this with. And then goes on to invite everybody to join him. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. And so, please, please don't think of Christianity as just a simple lot of a sort of belief system that you hang on the wall, some dead thing that makes you different to your neighbor. No, this is the love of God through the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. No wonder they call it first love. The, the word first means the chief. I mean, that, that is the, the best of all love. Because the gospel is not a list of rules. The gospel is the announcement of a relationship that was started, initiated by God the Father, willing to know you and love you and fellowship with you. You see, first love, or just, what did I call it? A relationship. Now hear me so carefully. First love knows nothing of transaction or contract. You know what I mean. It isn't that... If you do this, I'll do that. You know what a transaction is. You know what a contract is. has got it listed there that you will do these things, and if you do these things, then the other person in the contract will do these things. And if you don't do these things, then there'll be legal trouble. I say again, maybe if you forget everything else I say, remember this, first love knows nothing. Of transaction or contract. That is, <laughs> being a believer, being part of the new covenant has nothing to do with a list of rules that you have to keep. Do you understand? That produces no joy, it never can. It only produces guilt so that you can't keep the rules, and then shame that you haven't kept them. And then you enter into the illusion. That God separated from you because you didn't keep the rules. The the whole thing has got Satan's fingerprints all over it. No, first love knows nothing of that. It's a relationship, a relationship of love in which the arms of God have embraced you into his most intimate, personal. Oh, you know him. First love, then, is not abstract theory. See, you can't go to school and, and and find out about first love and get an A, uh, you know, or a B plus or something. It's not a theory. It's not something on paper. It, it's it's in my experience, and that's why it uses the word know in Scripture. You know it, as opposed to know about it. This isn't knowing about love. This isn't passing an exam on God love. It is that love actually pulsing in my spirit. It is his love now fulfilled in us. Now, that's a pretty strong statement, fulfilled in us. Let, let me read to you from 1 John 4, 7. And remember, this fellow, 1 John, John the Apostle, was a pastor of this church in his ancient age and... Um, just really before this letter was written. He, he, okay, he wrote, Beloved, let us love, the word is agape, one another. For love, agape, is from or out from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. Hmm. The one who does not participate in agape does not know, does not have this relationship that is at the heart of the gospel. For God is agape. And he goes on to say, um, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. And that word perfected is, um, it, it means it's fulfilled it's completed The goal has been accomplished did you hear that whole text he says no one has seen god at any time you don't go to a museum and you see god but he said if you want to see god you find a company of people and they have received they have taken the gift of god himself who is love and that love is in them, and now they are loving one another as they are caught up in the love of God. And John says, now you've seen God. That, that You see, God has been fulfilled. He's been completed in being seen in himself, in us. Boy, there's going to be another module just, just on that, um, because it's too big for, for a point here. But have you ever thought of that, that as you are in your home, as you go to the factory, the office, as you go to the school, um, that as you walk the streets of this world, you are fulfilling, you are completing the love that is within the Holy Trinity that is now in you in the way you live. That, that's first love or you could say and i've used this illustration so many times that we we do not study sunlight rather we sunbathe in it when you sunbathe when you stand in the beams of the sun you have no idea of the chemistry of the sun that's not your intent or purpose or interest rather you are just bathing in the warmth of the sun And what we're doing here, the first love is that you are bathing in the love of God. I met a man the other day, and he was excited in his own way, and he he said, I just got religion. I said, God help you. You know, um, (laughs) I know what the dear chap meant, but he's got a long way to find out what he means. Because (laughs) if you've got religion, that means you're studying the chemistry of the sun, and, and you're as dead as a dinosaur. But to bathe in the sunlight of his love means you are deeply affected. In fact, the energy of his love is in you and through you and by you and it affects those around you. And so that's salvation in the New Testament. Salvation, you see, is not a contract. Salvation isn't if you do this, God will do that. No, that's got nothing to do with the New Testament first love says that salvation is knowing that word again knowing intimately personally that we are in the embrace of god and we are kept by the love ability of god so first love let let's say this is infinitely personal it's not out there it's not abstract it's not something our church believes no this is something by which you wake up to in the morning, you live in the day, you sleep in his arms at night, and you rise again in the morning to celebrate his love. First love. First love then, and you've got to hear me now, is childlike. That, that's a major part of what Jesus said about our salvation except you become as a little child, he said, you will not even see the kingdom of God, except you come as a little child and be converted or turned around. It's childlike. So this really upsets all our adult masks, all all our know-it-alls, all all our pomposity and all, we've got it all rigidly right. Jesus says, for goodness sake, become as a little child And then, although there's no verse that uses the word in another sense, the whole New Testament says it, it is playful. It was sort of that. This life that you and I have in Jesus Christ, we're like little children and it is playful. And what's playful? Well, watch watch children at play, watch adults at play come to that, um, There is no must and should and ought about play. It it is an abandonment to what they're doing. And in this, uh, what we're talking about, playful means I'm abandoned to the one who loves me and I'm abandoned as a little child in trust and I'm not sitting down saying, no, should I do this? Should I do that? Ought I do that? Is he going to be mad at me if I do? No, it, it is an abandonment into the arms of Jesus, which we would add the words then that this, this love, agape, is passionate. It is zealous. It's unashamed. Do you remember when you first discovered the love of Jesus and you told everybody and it, it surprised you that they got upset with you. you? You were open because, well, like a little child, you, you were bouncing in this this love. And, and while we're on that, have you noticed this, this first love, this childlike, this playful love... Um, is always in the present moment. Well, of course, we could could say that love at any level, because there's more than one level of love. There's agape, which is what we're talking about, but then you have another word in the New Testament, phileo, which means a dear friendship kind of love. And, of course... There's a mixture of what happens when we say that we've fallen in love, uh, but have you noticed that where love is present, somehow time stands still? Have you noticed that? Because maybe some of you have never been in love, but uh, in in the moment, when when you are in the process, in the shall I say, the atmosphere, in the dimension. In the zone of love, you, you, you seem to float through life. There is someone who loves you and someone that you are daring to love. Someone who sees you through the eyes of love. And suddenly, all of your work, everything you do, just it's all there and time seems to stand still. You see, you are the object, you're the focus of God's love. You live in the playground of his love. Does anything else matter? Because everything now is affected. The way you do your work, the way you relate to people in the home, the way you relate to everyone that comes across your path, you you are consumed in this love. You're consumed in the passion of God's love. And so you could say that first love is the light in which we see life as it really is. And we see him in every nook and cranny of life. And therefore all our behavior and all of our actions find new motive, new strength, new joy. No wonder... In Jude, it says, keep yourself in the love of God. And Jesus, speaking in the same vein, says, abide or take up residence here. Intentionally rest in his love. Or I say again, wake up. This lavish, this abundant gift of God love has been bestowed upon us. Why on earth did they leave first love? I mean, really? And this word here, where it says you've left your first love, this, um, this might be hard to swallow, but the word left there is the same word in the Greek language as forgive. Did you know that? a And so what does forgive mean yeah that's a big one because it doesn't mean half what we hear these days the word afiemo that is translated elsewhere as forgiveness and here as left it means to release and to send away now think about it that is forgiveness you you release someone from what you had seen as what they owed you you release them and you send them away happy. Well, okay, now apply that definition to this. It it means I've released away from me the first love. Why? Why would you do that? Why would you walk away? Why would you release away? Why would you let it slip away? First love. That they had stood in awe of God's love, agape. They, 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 they had caused all their life to be in symphony with that love. It was the way they did their work. It's the way they talked to others, thought of others. It was the way they saw themselves. Let alone how they saw this incredible God. Now, it, uh, the word in the Bible is a dull. Of heart, or maybe hardness of heart. There's no sense. It seems that that they've lost connection. There's no sense of the awe and the wonder and the childlike playfulness as they literally are. Life is a dance with the Holy Trinity. The God who is passionate in His love for you is met with your yes. And now. There's no sense of awe at all, hardly a sense of the God who is love. Oh, if you talk to them, they would say they believe in God's love, you know, in that voice that, that sounds very scholarly, that they've got it all together. Hmm. What's happened? Rules of how this Christian life is and is to be lived has taken the place of the rest, of union, him in me and me in him. The rest and the playfulness is replaced by very burdensome work and I get weary in doing it a church or uh, that that word we always then think of that building on the corner the word in the greek is ecclesia it means a group of people who have been filled with and overflowing with this agape they have become a religion good grief they started out as a flaming passion of people who says they've seen it that god is love and his love for them and they've become a denomination, a corporation held together by legal papers. And there's no talk of the Holy Spirit. Huh, what on earth has happened? We've just come back from the retreat in Florida, and it was a very wonderful retreat and a dear man and his wife came to me. They, they are in a high position in, in a certain church. And, and they came and they said, thank you. You have saved our life. And, and they referenced this, that they had slipped from this hilarious life in the Holy Spirit, in the love of God to becoming part of a religious system. It reminded me, I was uh, some years ago and there was a knock on my door and there stood a man who very obviously was a part of a certain church and he looked at me, I'll never forget the look, he said, "'Please, can you help me? I have lost the Holy Spirit.'" in all the religion of my church. Hmm. You get what I mean? It is possible to labor for him and lose him in the labor. It is possible to serve and to be persecuted for the name of Jesus and yet to become absorbed by the service and forget him and to stand for something and forget that it's really him that you don't really stand for but he stands in you you see we read it that's why i read the whole thing they were challenged there in ephesus by false teachers false doctrines came in and these people stood up to fight it and to fight it with all their might, arguing for the truth, debating the doctrines that were false, and insisting the truth. And Jesus said that was a good thing, and he praised them for it. But you see, the trouble is, in doing a good thing, you can become focused on the thing and lose what it's all about, which is the love of God coming to you in Jesus, coming into you through the Holy Spirit. You see, it was first love that made them take a strong stand against false Gospels. Love gave them the discernment to see the false and to become the champions that kept the congregation pure. But then somewhere in there, they lost any sense that they became foggy in their brain and mind and heart to Jesus. They were so absorbed in fighting those who didn't believe. The persecution was intense. Ephesus really got it. And it came from all sides because inside Ephesus there was the pagan worship of a goddess called Diana. And that was 100% witchcraft. And then they had the persecution from Rome. But they stood firm. Why? Because of the love they had for Jesus. To the point where they were martyred and imprisoned. But then, how can I put it? They became harsh and separated away from others. Say they they despised those who weren't like them. They they despised their opponents, and so their gospel became a list of rules that defined what they weren't. We're we're separated. We're not like them. Their heart had been replaced by their intellect. I met a young man who was getting divorced. And I thought of this because, really, to try and make any sense out of what happened, he loved his wife and she loved him. And so he went off and he was going to earn all the money so that he could treat his wife the way she should be treated and then have a house that was fitting to what he thought of her and she should have all that she wants. And he worked and he worked and he worked and he worked and he worked. And in his work he forgot that he had a wife at home. And so by the time he came back and she's living in the mansion and she has all that she wants, there's no love left. Do you see what I mean? You you can plunge into a good thing, but never forget there's no things, even good things, in the kingdom of God god is love he's not your superintendent god is love he's not your ceo god is love relationship that comes to us in jesus where man and woman meet god and he comes into us by the holy spirit not a list of rules not a lot of things to be done not standing for truth and rejecting everybody else not appealing to the intellect that I'm right and you're wrong. See how it happened? They were against the false teachers. That's good. Yes, but, but wait a minute. <laughs> you, you, it's, it's not that you believe this and they believe that. It's we're wrapped up in the love of God and these people don't see it yet. Have you ever noticed that that, that, that Jesus, when he faced those that were false in their belief system, He wept over them. He loved them. He sat with them. He did not separate and call them them. He never forgot who he was. And then at the end when he faced his enemies there in Jerusalem, he wept over Jerusalem. And the word in the Greek language is with great convulsive sobs. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. But just a minute, they're, they're those who are going to crucify you. They, they stood false, false, Religion stood against Jesus, and all he does is weep over them. And when they're doing it to him, he says, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Do you understand that standing against false teachers, standing against those who will persecute us, we don't put on armor and start a fight? Rather, we just let the love of God reach out and let all our words of truth be spoken in love these people lost it they lost they lost that sense of the wonder of the love that danced within them because they were trying to prove to others what god was really like and in so doing forgot what he was really like hmm amazing I remember another young man that came came to my office he he'd got all the honors accolades in in the bible school of his denomination they graduated him as the one most likely to have the biggest church as a pastor in in the u s and i mean he was brilliant in his doctrine and he could argue his point and he could prove his point and he was looked upon as so so right and he said i am totally lost i i I don't know who i am i don't know why i am and he said "I, i really thought about suicide the other night so he came to see me and we talked and we talked and In the process, he said, look, here's my journal. Maybe this would help you understand what's wrong with me. And I I looked at his journal, and I I flipped through the pages, and and I saw the word God, 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 God. Uh, And I said, you know, I, I think you need to know Jesus. And he got so upset. He said, I came all this way to meet with a man that looks like Santa Claus, who said, I need Jesus. And he said, don't you know who I am? and went on to tell me his credentials. I said, you need to know Jesus. You need to know his love. That that journal was just full of God, all about dead doctrines, all about dead theories. You need to know the pulsating love. He loved me, and he gave himself for me. That's first love. And uh, you can't get that by being an honor student in Bible school. You you can't. That comes from the Holy Spirit. Does this make any sense? I wish I could see your eyes right now. You see, you're left with dead orthodoxy. It's right. I can't argue. Half these places, I, I believe what it says there that they believe. But you see, being right is not a sign of a believer in the new covenant jesus said by this shall all men know that you're my disciples that you have agape and that you agape one another because you can't say i love god and not love your brother and so it's this company of people that are locked in together in love and you know you've read this i'm sure before but let me just do it very quickly. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul wrote, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not agape, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Or we might say, you're like an empty Coke can that you're kicking down the street. He said, though I had the gift of prophecy, (laughs) understand all mysteries and all knowledge, It takes care of a lot of dear students that are listening now and wonder what is missing from their life. Then he says, I have all faith. I could move mountains. Sounds a lot of my charismatic friends. But have not agape. I am nothing. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned as a martyr, but have not love, agape, it profits me nothing. Well, there you have it. You've lost your, fir- you've left your first love, and what's left? Nothing except something dead, something hurtful, because you become harsh. Your words cut. I remember a deacon in the church and everyone looked upon him with certain awe because the man carried with him that, well, yeah, a sort of a aura of, you know, I'm the authority here. And he could tell me everything he didn't do and all the places he never went. And he told me all that he studied to reach this high and holy and magnificent place that the man did not know the love of God. He knew the rules of the church and he turned the whole New Testament into a book of rules, a system of rules and methods. And, and we, we turn our walk with God into determination. You know, I've heard it. I, I have made up my mind and i I will I'm determined to follow Jesus well that's an appeal to yourself that that's promising to try and be like Jesus in your behavior and so on, and then you'd be separate from the world, well them, not me yeah um but there's nothing there about relationship, is there there's nothing about you just breaking in your heart because he loves you just as you are has joined you where you are who you are and just loves you and he is the transforming ability power within you just loving you i i I know you're you're doing a great work for god that's it that's the word isn't it for him for him doing a great work for god yeah, but you see, first love doesn't do it for God. You do it from Him. You're 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 living from His love. That's first love. And of course, with that comes a whole bunch of guilt. Begin to speak to yourself as stupid and worthless, self-condemned, because loving yourself, which is a holy and high. <laughs> way of living love your neighbor as you love yourself love one another as I have loved you well of course that's gone now so you're just left with despising yourself because you despise others too I I could keep going but uh, I mean the fact is if you fight the Pharisee without love you become one of them so what's Jesus remedy he said repent Repent means, as I've said a thousand times, a radical exchange of mind and attitude. It's got nothing to do with, oh God, I'm a sinner. No, that, that came in in 12, long after these words were written. Repent is, is, is a change of mind. And as I said, it really means an exchange. It, it means that we make a return to the mind of Jesus Christ through the Spirit, to his attitude, which is in us through the Spirit. Do you realize that it is our mental concepts of God, what we think God is like, that keeps us from him? You ever thought about that? We think he's this rule giver. We think he's this judge. That's what we think he is. So what do we do? We call up, we try to please him which keeps us away from him. Repent, that is, have an exchange. See God the Father as Jesus saw his Father and then believe what Jesus believed about the Father. Rediscover who you are, the beloved child of God. Remember the preciousness of this gospel. James 1 says, Look in the mirror of truth and see yourself and what do i see i see malcolm but i see malcolm inside of jesus and jesus inside of me can you really understand that i look in the mirror and i see jesus and i'm in there somewhere but that's the that's my identity i don't look in the mirror and see bishop malcolm oh good grief oh no I, I i don't see positions in the church i don't see all the accolades i i see i am inside of jesus and jesus inside of me and in second john he says watch yourself that is take a good look do you see your true identity or have you lost lost in the sense you just let it slip away lost the relationship in the act of what started out being good. I say again, he speaks from inside. He's the, the one who's inside our candlesticks, inside our light. We've left our first love. He never left us. I hope you got that. They had left first love, but they were still his beloved and they were still... The children of God. They'd just gone to sleep and didn't know who they were. They had lost themselves in the jungle of doing stuff for God, being his servants. He's got a lot of servants, he's got few who know they are his beloved children. No, first love is your most precious possession. And he said that unless this is corrected, the candlestick is going to be removed. That sounds pretty heavy. And as I said before, he wasn't talking about the members of the church there. He was talking about as an entity. That is, can can you handle this? They'd lost or were in process of losing their authority to be a church. You've got no authority from Jesus to be a church unless you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus said that. Your authority to be a church has got nothing to do with that piece of paper you got from the government. Your authority to be a church is that you know that everything... Is about his love for us. And when I know his love and that love shed abroad in my heart, then I love you with the same love, and you're loving me with the same love. And Jesus said, That's the light of the world. That people come to see what God is like, fulfilled in these people. That's the light of truth. Love one another as I have loved you. That's life. That's what is called eternal life, which means the life of the ages now in you, that the love that is is the, the Holy Trinity love now in you. Uh, and it says that this is life eternal, that you know him. This same word we've been talking about. So you see, he said, um, without first love, you... <laughs> you're not a church, you're you're a bunch of religious people, but you're not a church. Ecclesia, the people who are the candlestick, the light of the world. So he said, oh yeah, all the believers will still be there, of course. And he loves them passionately. And they're his children, but they've missed the point. Like the elder brother in Jesus' parable, who lived so close he had breakfast looking at his father every morning, but he didn't have a clue about his relationship to his father. Sad. And of course, then the younger brother comes home and plunges into first love, experiencing relationship and bear hug and taken to the feast. And Okay, I, I, I'm done. But I, I want to say this. The people who first heard that, that letter was written to them, they hadn't been there at the beginning. And it's very possible they had never really heard of first love. They'd been coming to the church in the midst of all the dead Orthodoxy and religion. And um, so Jesus is calling them back to something they'd never had before. And I know, because I've talked to many of you, and as I say, we'd just come back from the retreat in Florida when I I met so many of you who had only met me on this screen. And we talked, and they'd never heard this before, never realized the love of God to them so personally in the Holy Spirit. And therefore, this was a call to taste of something they'd never had before, Come back to God's beginnings and taste of the love that makes us who we are. And I think I'm talking to quite a few like that because we're second, third, fourth, fifth generation from way back there somewhere where they tasted this, but it got lost. Well, it didn't get lost. We got lost. And I want you to know that you haven't lost your salvation. We're not talking about that. We're talking about losing the sense of his love, losing the wonder, the awe of his love, no longer having our lives governed, directed, inspired, enthused by his love, no longer playful through the day because you're dancing in love, not in rules. No, that's something new, but that really is the beginning. You miss the beginning Let's go back to the beginning, he says. Change your mind about this God that you've come to think is God. Come back to the beginning and understand that he is love. I I hope this has helped you to really understand who you are and to realize the preciousness of what you have and never to lose him. You lose him. But not lose him forever, not lose your salvation, but just lose this sense of his love in doing what you thought was good. Now, be blessed. Be blessed in him who is the God who is love, almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. His blessing embrace you. His very presence be known within you. And your whole life become a blazing playfulness in the presence of the Trinity. Thus I bless you, and it is the way it shall be.